Greetings and welcome to The Pure Report. I'm your host, Rob Ludeman. It is time once again to bring the orange with two guests today. One of our returning highlighted guests, Mr. Vaughn Stewart, VP of Alliances. Vaughn, welcome back to the program. Third time, fourth time. Hey, Rob. Thanks for having me back. As I've always said, great privilege to be able to have a chat with you and to your audience about um, what's going on in the world of our joint solutions that come from our global alliance partners. And um, can I keep running here? Is this okay yeah. if I keep going? Keep running. Let's talk about uh, the alliance partner that we are bringing on to talk today in a really, yeah, so, really important emerging space for us together. Yeah. So, so today is a privilege of mine to um, introduce to your audience, uh, Mark Selwan. Uh, from Confluent, he's a product manager that has helped us work on a next generation of architectures within the Kafka stack. That's very exciting. And so uh, without further ado, welcome, Mark. Wow. Thank you. Thank you for having me. In fact, I, I think I'm going to have you show up to all of my meetings to introduce me that way, because now I feel like a, a rock star. But uh, yeah, it's, it's awesome to be here. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Like Ron said, product manager. I work at a company called Confluent which provides uh, an enterprise event streaming platform based on Apache Kafka. Awesome. Hey, hey Mark. Hey, Mark. Uh, Rob and I are also available for weddings and promises. That's right. Oh, the the, the awesome. Vaughn and Rob show. But we can show up at every one of your webinars to do that glowing intro that Vaughn just yeah, did. Yeah, please you know, do. <laughs> make, you, make you look really good like a star, like a star that you are. Um, awesome. Well, great to have you both here. This is a really interesting and exciting space. Um, for us together. And that's what we, we want to try to get across for everybody listening here is, you know, what's going on. But before we, we get into kind of the collaboration, Mark, I'd love if you're going to take us back and just what's going on in the Kafka space? Like, how has this evolved over time? Why is this such a big deal right now? Um, why are people doing things with, with event streaming? Yeah, really, really good question. So uh, if you really think about it, like the whole, our modern world runs off of events, right? Whether you're thinking about Clickstream data, like what you're doing on a website, purchasing information. Uh, I, I could go on and on, but everything that happens on our apps, web services, what have you, these are all events. And uh, in, in the age where attention spans are very limited, <laughs> uh, it's super critical these days when providing a good, a good experience to your end users that uh, things happen instantaneously, right? Mm -hmm. And in order to do that, you got to be able to process and make sense of these events in real time or get these events to go where they need to go uh, as quickly as possible. And that's, I think, where a lot of uh, Kafka's growth has been. And it's interesting, right? Kafka, there have been message, uh, messaging platforms and things before uh, Apache Kafka, but, but what's interesting about Kafka and where I think the growth really comes from Obviously, it's a distributed system. It's built for scale and availability and all that stuff. And, and that's sort of where it's got, it got its footing. But where it's really growing is around the ecosystem, right? It's all of the connectors. It's the stream processing tools, the things like uh, KSQL, which allows you to do SQL streaming. Uh, and obviously, the uh, connections with partners such as yourselves, that's huge. And it just makes it so easy to adopt. So it just grows like crazy within any organization that, that adopts it or uses it. So why, yeah. Kafka, why Kafka then versus some of the other options that you mentioned out there? I mean, is it like an ease of use or some of the growth in these connectors? Like why did that take off 
as sort of, you know, let's say maybe the preeminent tool in this space. Yeah. Well, if you think about it, like one of the, one of the most important things in any application development space is time to market. Right. And so the, the fact that there's a robust ecosystem, the fact that out of the box, you get so many things to complete this event streaming platform story. It's just, it just streamlines time to market. Right. And then obviously there's other operational benefits too, like you know, high availability replication, things like that. Um, but by and large, I think it's really the ecosystem that, that, that really draws users. Yeah, Rob, if you, look at, if you look at some of the benefits that Kafka provides in the ability to help the ingest rate of data, mm. and you look at the ecosystem of connectors uh, that allow Confluent to help process or pre-process, if you will, uh, the data that maybe goes into other platforms um, could be, for example, some of our, our partnerships with like Splunk or Elastic, uh, you know, Kafka just helps these environments scale. And it has become, um, I think, from a, a, an interesting element maybe five years ago to, I think, a critical piece for any operation at scale today. So, Mark, could you elaborate on that a little bit more? How is it complementary then to some of those other platforms that Vaughn mentions? I mean, what's what's the the use case? Like, how does that yeah. actually work in, in, Good question. in reality? Yeah. Well, so, so, for example, uh, companies have all sorts of different right tools for the job, right? Whether it, like Ron mentioned, Elasticsearch, Splunk, there seems to be a new database coming to market every, every day. Yeah, it's hard to keep track of all yeah, this. And so, and so it's obviously it's important for developers to pick the right tool for the job to satisfy their requirements and use cases. But then like, how do you, how do you make sure the data gets to where it needs to go in the format that it needs to, mm -hmm. to go in, right? Or, or, um, something that's kind of interesting in the microservices world, like how do you make sure that the schema is somewhat consistent across all of these different things or like when there's a schema change, how do you propagate that stuff? So having, so one of the nice things that Kafka has is a schema registry. So you can kind of, you think of that as like a centralized way to enforce schema across uh, a bunch of different systems. So, um, so yeah, so it's complementary in the fact that you got to get your data from A to B somehow, but if you have all these multiple systems, how do you do that reliably? And that's, that's again, part of that ecosystem play where Kafka really shines. Yeah. Uh, what are some of the real world use cases then? I mean, you mentioned some of the event management and Vaughn, feel free to chime in, but how do we, how do we, how do we bring this home for people to go, all right, I understand how that's being used, you know, what, what companies are actually doing with this? Oh yeah. So, so there's things like fraud detection, right? So like the, the classic one that I love is you, somebody tries to make a charge and they are maybe in a location other than where you currently are, or it's a, it's an unusual location. Um, being able to catch that event as soon as it happens, so you get a ping on your phone that says, Hey, uh, we noticed that there's some unusual activity or did you make this purchase in a location? We don't think we've ever seen you at before. Um, things like recommendations, um, being able to, in real time, uh, process this, uh, what a user is doing. Um, you know, there's a classic Netflix uh, use case where um, you, you, you're taking in a bunch of click stream data from users or watching habits from users. And, you know, how do you generate recommendations uh, on the fly for those users? Things like that. So things in and around, I mean, I'm, my mind's going to like, 
airline loyalty programs, right? Things like that, where you could, you know, you could tie in offers for, for users based on sure. what they're doing. Got it. Okay. All right. No, that helps. I mean, it helps kind of hammer it home for, for more of a, a real world type of thing. And that, I guess the challenge that I think of when you, when you mentioned, you know, the fraud detection, how many people are making transactions in banking on a regular basis comes, comes back to scale right? Is, is oh, yeah. at some point scale becomes the, the huge, the big challenge. But when you guys started out, you, you didn't really have necessarily what you would call the most highly scalable architecture. Yeah, I, I think so. That's, that's an interesting point. So Kafka came out at an interesting time where um, users were still very much focused on on-prem deployments, on-prem self-managed deployments. And like the uh, go-to hardware stack was very different back then, right? You can think of that as like the, we'll call it the Kafka 1.0 architecture yeah. where you have maybe looked very similar to like Hadoop type of infrastructure where you have large machines with a bunch of spinning disks and things were uh, set up in like JBOD configuration and, um, Scaling, scaling compute also meant that you had to scale storage, right? Like it was, it was very much a coupled architecture. Uh, fast forward to today, uh, people, people have much more, uh, much higher expectations on how things scale, how fast things scale, um, how easy it is to scale. Right. So like a very real example, it's interesting. You know, we have our own Confluent Cloud, which we use, which is our Kafka as a service uh, platform. And we quickly, it's kind of like eating your own dog food, right? We quickly saw a bunch of challenges with regards to scaling things like elasticity, things like how do we more efficiently store more data? Because if you think about the use cases we were talking about before where, well, you have all these complementary technologies, all these disparate systems, and you want to get data to them, that starts to kind of make Kafka look like a system of record in a way, because all that data gets stored there. Maybe you want to hydrate a system, uh, a new system up and coming later on. So you want to make sure you keep enough data around to be able to do that. So we want to also make sure that we have an efficient way to store that data. And I think I think this is leading to the interesting uh, point or that where, where uh, the pure and confident partnership comes into play where we have this new we'll call it the Kafka the confluent Kafka 2.0 architecture where uh, we recently released a, a few features uh, most notably one of them called tiered storage where we offload the bulk of the data Kafka stores to more efficient object storage mm -hmm. take a pause there there's no, it's, you know, it's, it's, I like where you're going. I, I still think it's super interesting that you built up, you know, you kind of built up your cloud and you got learnings from your as a service as to what was working and what, you know, that, that that sort of caused the impetus to go and, and explore different architecture based on yeah. some challenges. Yeah, you were well, into. yeah and, and let's, let me jump in here real quick. So, so we are seeing this movement yeah. within across the analytics space away from compute and storage being within the same component, either in a data center or in the cloud. And so the work that we've done with Confluent around you know, Kafka 2.0 with this tiered storage where you still have your, uh, you know, your high performance um, uh, 
uh, high performance local storage, basically acting like as a cache or an ephemeral tier, if you will. And then you have a persistent tier, which is S3 backed on, on the back end. Um, uh, this, this now provides independent to scaling resources, scaling them on demand, allowing you to, to, to move through different formats of compute, bare metal, virtualized, you know, virtual machine, Kubernetes, right? This is, this is, this is bringing agility, scale, simplicity, and simplicity uh, to these architectures because prior to this, anytime you wanted to deal with an infrastructure resource, you had to deal with the data gravity effect. Yeah. And uh, again, we're seeing this broadly across the, the entire industry. Um, and I know that's not what we're talking about here, but I would just add one other point. You know, we're also starting to see this now with those folks who aren't in analytics, but are in the you know, uh, cloud space, right? This whole notion of like, you know, uh, uh, hyper-converge and, and, you know, having compute and storage together. No, now you get those to scale and you start to find out, well, now, now maybe you lose some of the, the agility that you have when you've got a disaggregated architecture. And so um, let me pull back here and maybe we have Mark kind of walk us through um, what tiered storage looks like with, with Confluent. Yeah. Great yeah. time for that. Yeah. So yeah, at, let's talk a little bit about how it works at a high level. So Basically, it's it's actually quite simple, and I and I think um, I think part of that simplicity does come from it being something that was developed uh, as a solution to our own scaling challenges in our own cloud. So, simply put, as you write data to Kafka brokers, it automatically starts tearing off that data to uh, object storage. In our case, we're talking about Flashblade, right, and. It's interesting. So you might think to yourself, like, why, why Flashblade? And it's, it's, it's really interesting. Our users have pretty high expectations, actually, about the performance around uh, the data that sits in these object stores, right? So when you think about tiered storage in the general sense, like when you think it may be in the database world, you think about it, you tend to think about it in terms of like hot and cold data. But object stores have gotten pretty good, at least at least a select few have gotten really good to the point where it's really not hot and cold. It's like hot and maybe slightly less hot. Yeah, like tepid, yeah. <laughs> sort of warm, right? <laughs> exactly. A comfortable- I like, I, I, I like to call it scolding versus hot. Yeah, <laughs> there you go. Right. Just varying degrees. Exactly. And the reason for that is, is for some of the cases that we talked about earlier, right? Where maybe I'm spinning up a new database or, or I have a new development team uh, coming on with a new application. I want to be able to quickly hydrate those systems downstream. I still have relatively high expectations for Kafka's performance, streaming performance, but I need to be able to store that data in a more efficient way, right? And so that's where this architecture comes from. So like I said, you write data to the brokers, automatically tears off, uh, transparent to the producers and the consumers of things that reads and writes data. Um, they don't know anything about what's happening under the hood. So to them, it's completely transparent. No application changes, no logic to worry about or anything like that. Um, you just write your data to Kafka. Kafka handles the logic of tiering. And when you read back, it handles the, the reads. And what's interesting too is because we're talking about object storage and not direct attached storage, we're utilizing network threads to handle streaming from the object storage, which means you're freeing up more of the local resources at the broker layer. So you're not uh, using as much IO anymore. And you're, it's, it's again, as long as your network supports it, super performant. Yeah. Hey Mark, 
Hey, Mark, um, isn't there additional benefits when we look at, at, at resource utilization, whether we're talking about IO uh, or IO processing or uh, hardware resources? Um, you go from a, a, a replica-based model with direct attached storage to a single instance model with the object store, correct? Yeah, correct. Yeah. Exactly. Right. So again, exactly. if you're if you're dealing with load, right, it's it's not like you know uh, you know for every one kilobyte that's coming in, you know, you're processing one kilobyte. It's one kilobyte in, and it becomes two kilobytes or three kilobytes because of the replication factor that most customers have to put in place. Right. And so that, and then you've got to pay for storing that object. And so this, this architecture um, doesn't eliminate the replication factor on the front end, but it's still on the back end in terms of, you know, once the data is now moved from scalding to hot, um, you know, we get some economics that get brought to bear. Yeah, exactly. We only, we only replicate or we only tear off the data from the quote unquote partition leaders, like the, the most consistent view of the world, if you will, so that, uh, we let Flashblade do what Flashblade does best and handle the availability mechanisms on the object storage itself. We don't want to. We don't want to touch that because you're the experts when it comes to that. So, we handle the availability and replication at the compute side, and uh, the wonderful folks at Pure handle the replication and availability on the object storage side. Now, this does bring an interesting point um, because you might be thinking to yourself, well, okay, tearing data off to object storage isn't doesn't really mean much in terms of cloud native, right? So like, yeah. wh wh where's the story here? And so this is where I love to talk about another feature that we, we uh, released uh, in the middle of last year, we call it self-balancing clusters. Again, another thing that came out of solving problems we had on our own cloud. And this is effectively the idea that if you're adding uh, and removing capacity, we automatically handle the, the movement of data for you on the compute side. So if you think about this, if the bulk of your data is sitting in object storage and you're only keeping that like hot, super scolding hot cache data on the, on the computer broker side, then uh, you're, you only have to transfer a very little amount of data when you're shuffling the data around or the partitions around. So that means like what maybe took hours when you're adding a new, a new broker adding compute now takes seconds or minutes in, in worst cases. So it's, it's, this is like true elasticity, right? Like this is true cloud. And if you think about it for us, the problem we're trying to solve is when, when users go to our website and they want to buy more compute capacity, they expect that to show up quickly, right? So we're taking that feature from our cloud, bringing it to our self-managed and on-prem users. And so using this in conjunction with Flashblade and tiered storage means that you can scale that compute within seconds. Yeah, Vaughn, this, this sort of reminds me of some things we do really well at Pure as well regarding scale and non-disruptively upgrading, right? It starts to sound very familiar. Yeah, there's, there's, a, there's a, nice, a nice marriage of technologies here. Um, uh, Mark, maybe this is a good time based on where you left off your last speaking point to maybe talk about um, how Kubernetes is playing a role in delivering some of this cloud architecture um, whether it's on-prem or the cloud, I don't think really matters, but uh, what some of the, the capabilities and the simplicity that the Kubernetes aspect uh, brings into the Confluent uh, and pure storage architecture. It's funny, it's funny you asked that because I was, I was like, and not necessarily a, a Kubernetes denier per se, but I, you know, I, I, I definitely was in the camp of like, man, this feels 
like a lot, like a, a very complicated way of managing your infrastructure, right? You were, so, a, you were a skeptic, right? I was a skeptic you know, for right? sure. And you know what? I think, and I think, you know, for like the amateur developer like me, like, yeah, that's, that's, you know, it's probably overkill, but uh, I, I, I actually learned to love it, mm-hmm. especially when combining it with these uh, elastic capabilities, because you know, I'm, I'm out there dogfooding my own products. I'm constantly trying to provide feedback to engineering. And, you know, because these are products that we use in our cloud to solve our own problems and also solve problems uh, in the self-managed world and on-premise, uh, we have to test out some pretty tricky scenarios. Things like, you know, what happens when a node, a node or a broker goes away or when you add a node, like how do you scale that up quickly and efficiently, right? I'm not going to sit there and start, you know, uh, spinning up uh, raw infrastructure and un- un- untarring tarballs and things like that. So the Kubernetes piece is really awesome. We have a really nice operator that handles all of that work for you. And so um, when you're thinking about it from the last Sissy's piece, let's say you, you start off with five brokers and you want to expand a 10, you just update your uh, Kubernetes operator definition and say update and that's it you're you're done and it automatically scales up to 10 brokers the self-balancing feature kicks in and automatically redistribute redistributes the data it's aware of tiered storage as well and um and yeah it's just it's it really streamlines that that whole orchestration process or the the operational burden that typically comes with having to worry about scaling things up and down yeah, and I think that operational burden also goes into um, you know automated and and rolling upgrades, right? So you know allow that that infrastructure to to be patched, if you will, without disruption, right? Without having to to take the 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 time that's related to the data gravity issue by not having uh, a lot of data on each of the of the nodes. Um, it's a really robust architecture uh, that Confluent has brought to market. Yeah, yeah, and I gotta say though, I am I am uh, excited to explore uh, your Portworks acquisition. Mm-hmm. Right, so uh, you folks uh, inherited uh, some some pretty robust Kubernetes infrastructure yourselves. So I'm excited to see what we could do there in the future. Yeah. We'll get you out of that skeptic mindset, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so we could do. Well, it's, you know, I hear a lot of good common themes, you know, around performance still matters, that, that scale is, is really the key, but um, I think people still care about uptime and security. Can you, can you talk to those a little bit too? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So uh, on the uptime perspective, uh, this is something that Kafka's had built in, you know, since, since its infancy where we replicate multiple copies of the data across the broker. So if any broker goes down, you know, you still have copies of data to, to, uh, to service requests from. Uh, and on the security side, we handle things like encryption in flight. Uh, we have uh, role-based access control, uh, authentication, authorization controls, basically everything that you would expect, right? We could, couldn't grow a cloud business without having a, a pretty robust uh, security offering, which I think is table stakes. Yeah, it is. Uh, but, but, the interesting thing is when we're combining our solutions together, we recently did a webinar on this. Uh, Flashblade actually does help us complete that story, right? Like for example, we don't, we don't handle the encryption at rest, yeah. but guess who does? Mm-hmm. Good folks, good folks at Flashblade, right? Um, and then uh, there's some, there's some synergies too with how we, for example, handle 
roles and access to the data. For example, we handle who can access the data from the compute side, and then Flashlight has built-in controls for accessing the data or who can access or administrate the data on the object storage side, right? So I think we have a pretty, pretty complete picture. No, thanks for adding that in. I just want to make sure we didn't miss those those two areas. Yeah, table stakes. They are table stakes, but we still, you know, we can't kind of gloss over those. Um, Vaughn, you want to dovetail back to, to a little bit on performance again. Yeah, I, I did. And real quick before I do, I wanted to just comment like, um, uh, Mark is a is a product manager's product manager. Yeah, yeah. Is he representing <laughs> representing the confluent components? He's actually representing the Flashblade components. So uh, this has been pretty easy for well, us. It's 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 important, right? Because like I don't want to go out there and recommend a solution that has a whole bunch of holes and caveats, right? Like we're we're out here solving user problems, so we need to make sure that there's a complete story, so that when the people, the folks at home listening uh, think about, hey, this, this sounds like a pretty cool solution. I want to use it. That there's, there's actually a real, a real thing to it, right? We're not just, yep. yeah, we're not just yeah, blowing smoke yeah. here. Yeah, this, this isn't back of the napkin solution. This is actually tested, validated, you know, oh, you know, yeah. meets, meets the market requirements. Um, so, hey, I want to go back to performance because it was something that was, was kind of brought up briefly and then we went back kind of into management yeah. of, of, uh, and security. Um, the S3 storage protocol was really designed around low cost, low performance, and archiving of your data. Now, I'm not trying to put you on the spot, Mark. Uh, I want to be very clear here. Uh, Pure looked at, at, at S3 and, uh, and made a gamble six or seven years ago when we started developing Flashblade uh, that the analytics space would, that, S, that object stores would become the, the native format within the analytics space. And you're seeing this materialize today, obviously. But um, tell me a little bit about how the Flashblade is actually able to support, um, or what performance characteristics is a better way. What performance characteristics of an S3 make for a good backend in this new infinite storage architecture, if you will, versus, you know, what types of characteristics in S3? Like, is every S3 available to a customer? Maybe that's a better way to say it, right? No. Yeah. So it's, it's probably worth mentioning uh, right off the bat here that Flashblade, uh, as of recording this podcast, is our only, our first and only supported on-prem object store. And there's a reason for that. Um, this is a little bit about how the sausage gets made, but the way that we think about doing the certifications for the object stores we want to support is we do two things. We test for performance, but I think even maybe equally or even more important, we test for correctness as well. Mm -hmm. So we actually found out, so when we were developing tiered storage, we didn't originally develop it directly on S3. We, we, you know, we used a bunch of other different things just, you know, in our development environments. We found that not all S3 API implementations are created equally. Some are slow, some have weird latency quirks, some even maybe not all the data ends up showing up where it's supposed to show up. Uh, so when we were working with uh, Flashblade folks, uh, specifically Joshua uh, and the field team over at Pure, who's awesome by the way. Right, yeah. Um, it's we, Joshua Robinson, just yeah, for right. the shout out, because he so is he awesome. Shout out, and so he starts getting a lot of phone calls, right? <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, we were, I mean, I've, I mean, it, we were blown away by the performance. We knew the performance would be awesome, but when we saw seven point five gigabytes per second being streamed, like we were like, "Whoa!" Like this is, 
this is like, you can use this as your primary storage for the most part. Like it's, it's awesome. And this is, this again, allows users to retain a heck of a lot more data because it's way more efficient to store it in that object storage, right? And because the performance is so good, um, there's really no, you know, there's no weird caveats with things like your SLAs. Like the latency is still good, right? Because yeah. we're not talking about like your object store sitting in a completely different data center. Typically the, the, the brokers, the compute is still physically fairly close to the object storage, but, um, but yeah, latency and throughput was awesome. But again, I think equally or more important, the correctness was there. Every piece of data that we, we wrote was showed up in Flashblade and we were able to read it all back without any issues. And we, we did that a lot. It wasn't like we tested this once. We, we worked with the team for quite a while just to make sure that it gets our stamp of, of approval because this is, this is the data layer, right? This is operational mission critical data, excuse the buzzwords, but uh, it's super important to make sure that it's safe. And so when we put our stamp on it, like you know that this has been tested to the, to the fullest. Yeah, and I think what's really, really interesting here from a, from an S3 perspective is um, Kafka leverages both the, the, the wide bandwidth that's available with the Flashblade, but as well as the low latency, right? And these are two kind of, I don't want to say that we're the only ones that do this, but these are, these are more rare traits within the storage ecosystem around S3 storage day, right? You could maybe find this in those, those, um, performance profiles in other types of storage, like file or block-based storage, but they haven't become the norm and object. And I think they will over time. Um, and, and it's through uh, the ecosystem changing, like what we're seeing here with Confluent, um, that makes that puts us in a unique position to, to, I think, help customers put in a scale architecture today and maybe take you know a bit of a, a first market, or first mover advantage, if you will, within the market. Um, uh, so, if you kind of pause here, you know, what, what have we shared, right? Uh, there's a new architecture. It's highly performant. It requires less infrastructure resources. It takes a lot less infrastructure time to manage or manpower to operate and manage. Mark, is there a trade-off in this new architecture? Is there anything that, that the customers would lose that someone would need to uh, consider before moving forward uh, looking at the, the tiered storage? It's it's not necessarily that they, they would lose out on anything, but like with all shifts in infrastructure and architecture, it's still, it's still a migration, right? It's if you're on the traditional uh, architecture we talked about where you're on a large box with lots of spinning disks. And I actually see this a lot more than I thought I would at, at Confluent. Uh, it's still, it's still a migration and something to think about and plan for and test in your environments, right? So you, you want to make sure you're, you're careful there, even though, We've been running this in production, this, this architecture in production in our, in our own cloud um, for years now. Um, still something that you want to keep in mind. It's not, yeah, it's not, it's, it's not a super in-depth migration, but it's still something that you want to keep in mind. Is that migration something that customers can, can uh, put in place and have it not disrupt their yeah, systems? Yeah, it's, yeah, it's all online. It's just... Yeah, it's especially if you have a, a, a working system today, it's yeah, you, you kind of think about that that age, age old adage like, you know, why 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 change something that isn't broken? Mm -hmm. uh, obviously there's a lot of benefits here, especially on the operational side of things. Uh, so so that's your reason why. But um 
but yeah, it's, it's just something you want to think about and plan for. Excellent. Yeah. Anything final to add? I guess we haven't even told people where to go find more information. I mean, we're talking about this in really good depth and detail, but uh, where, where can people go on your side, Mark and, and Vaughn, same question for you. Cause I, I know people would love to get more information. Yeah. So on the Confluence side, we, uh, if you just Google search Confluent tiered storage, you'll find uh, our docs page where we uh, go into depth. We even have a, a little section for, for pure storage and how to configure tiered storage to work with FlashBlade. Uh, the one call, if you want to do some, some more technical reading, Joshua Robinson, he wrote an awesome blog post. Uh, Rob, I don't know if you, you have a place to link this. Yeah, I can put that in the, in the, uh, in the abstract for the, for the pod episode. Yeah, it's, it's awesome because it actually goes to everything we talked about from the elasticity pieces, the tiered storage pieces, how we tested, the performance benchmarks, even goes as far as to also adding Elasticsearch in the mix. So you get to see how FlashBlade works when using both something like block storage and object storage at the same time. So uh, definitely recommend checking that blog post out. Awesome. Yeah, and, uh, yeah, and so I, I agree with Mark, which is um, you should be able to Google Confluent and Pure Storage and get to a lot of resources. But but if you're not going to go to the Google search, you can obviously go to purestorage.com, type in the word Confluent, and you'll be directed to both our technology partners page as well as the solutions page. If you wanted to read about um, the blog that Joshua Robinson wrote that Mark referred to, uh, head over to joshua-robinson.medium.com, and that's where Joshua's blog is, is, uh, is posted. Uh, the, the Confluent uh, article is great, as well as lots of other posts around uh, our analytic partner ecosystem. Yeah, and I think you both wrapped a uh, webinar recently on this too, so I'll make sure to put that in the abstract too, because there's some really great visuals on the, on the slides that, uh, that you all walk through. Awesome. Um, well, great stuff. Thanks, both of you, for this super informational uh, podcast. Mark, you're a natural, man. I loved having you on. Uh, you guys make it easy. <laughs> we make it easy and fun. Well, Vaughn's great too. He's, he's super, he's super well-versed. I need to put him in the captain's chair one of these times. <laughs> oh God, help, help us all. <laughs> help us all. That's right. Well, thank you both. And thanks everybody out there for listening. Make sure to check out the links in the podcast right up to go check out for more information and make sure to give Joshua Robinson a phone call, right? Keep him busy. <laughs> uh, but seriously, he and, he and Mark are great resources if you're asking questions about how and where to implement and what this will do for you. But really super exciting to see the joint collaboration between the two companies and more to come in the future. Um, so thank you out there for listening. Please tell a friend, tell a colleague about the program and we will keep the episodes coming and keep great guests like Vaughn and Mark, and with that, we will wrap for Pure Storage, Vaughn Stewart, Mark Selwan. This is Rob Ludeman saying, don't look back, something might be gaining on you.